What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome into episode 84 of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes here with you. As per usual, I am very excited about this week's guest and what they have to offer. A little bit of a different guest. We went national on this one instead of local, which is fun. And now that I'm learning to do this stuff a little bit more remotely as far as using a couple of different apps to to record with people remotely and the sound not suffering too much i am uh, i'm excited about some of the people that that i'm going to be able to have on the podcast including today's guest josina anderson I'll, I'll get to uh her in a minute but i wanted to talk about i'm really happy that over the last couple of weeks like the 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 interest in the episodes with Joe Cowley and Chris Ranji has been through the roof. I mean, we have seen really great numbers, and I joked with Cowley because Cowley had said only 10 people are going to listen, and it's been um, quite a few uh, times larger than, than, than 10 that have listened to that episode. And over the Thanksgiving holiday, having people listen to Chris Ranji and I talk about all sorts of stuff. If, you, if you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to those, you should. You should go check them out. They're both really, really good episodes, and I think that you will enjoy them. Uh, the Cowley one is spot on in its depiction of, of how media can sometimes get corrupted from the inside because of our reliance, sports media specifically, because of our reliance on relationships with teams and leagues and athletes. And the Ranji one is a, a lot of fun, and there's a lot of great White Sox memories that go along with that episode. So I'm happy that that both those guys were available, and I'm also happy that I'm now starting to get – there's a little bit more freedom that I can have when it comes to recording with people who are not in the same room with me and, and hopefully make it sound as if that person is in the same room with me. And that goes through today's episode. Uh, Josina and I go back a little ways. She was in Chicago working kind of as the ESPN Midwestern Bureau Chief of Football for a while. But she was you know, Chicago, obviously the easiest place where you can cover what's going on in Green Bay and Detroit and Minnesota and Kansas City. And uh, at the time, St. Louis, they still had a team and Indianapolis. You can get to a bunch of different places to go cover whatever it is that you need to get. Uh, uh, for ESPN, I wanted to talk with her because it wasn't very long after she was in Chicago, kind of covering the league from you know a bigger platform, obviously on ESPN. But it wasn't long before she was summoned to Bristol and New York, and that she was doing stuff there because she kept breaking stories. And that's one of the things that we spend a lot of time talking about is her ability to, to really work sources, develop sources, work sources, get information, and what, what is that like? I also think that her story is interesting because it's hard to find another black woman in football coverage who has a higher profile than Josina does. 
I, I don't know if there is one. I think when Pam Oliver was front and center on the Fox broadcast, I think that would be an argument. But from a sheer reporting standpoint, there isn't really anyone like Josina in the industry on that level. There are lots of people who are doing it locally or even regionally, but Josina's doing it nationally for ESPN. She also has a style that's unique, and she is very much herself. Um, whenever she's on the air, she is very much herself, and that comes from a, a language standpoint. That comes from a style standpoint, and she brings a, a, a different tone to conversations, whether she's doing the shows on, uh, on Monday afternoon, whether she's reporting from the sidelines or whether she's breaking news alongside Adam Schefter. She brings her own style to the table, and I, I thought it would be an interesting voice to, to hear from. She also has a, a background as an athlete, and we spend a lot of time talking about that and how that was the, the kind of fuel that allowed her to get into sports. And her story is, is a very similar to other people who you feel like you might be counted out and then you find out that you're not like you're you you got to keep grinding if it's something that you want to do so I think that you'll find it interesting some of the things that she did to give herself the space to continue working when it looked like she had reached a dead end I find her story to be incredibly inspiring and she's tough, man. Like, and and considering because she's small, she's teeny tiny. She, she she definitely has that bulldog mentality when it comes to getting stories. So, similarly to Cowley, this is someone who breaks stories, and hearing it is a, a, a lot of fun and very interesting. So, episode eighty four, ESPN's newsbreaker, Josina Anderson. What what? made you decide that this was going to be your professional life? I would say first and foremost, um, I love the sports because I was, you know, pretty much been an athlete for forever. I was always the fastest uh, in my school from elementary school through high school until college when I ran into people faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> and then once I realized no matter how hard I try, I can't be you know, I'm not going to get any faster. I gave up my pipe dream of, of running. But, um, you know, there was one year where I had to have back surgery. And, and because I was uh, not able to run, I kind of took over as the school's um, commentator for the basketball team. And, you know, that kind of fueled it, you know, from there in terms of really wanting to get more into the communication and journalism aspect of things. So that's kind of how it started. Was it hard to, to let that go? Because, I mean, you were a decorated track athlete, and I, I imagine that having that come to an end was not easy. Well, it didn't end immediately. I mean, I did return to, you know, running for high school. I mean, and I was still able to, you know, go to North Carolina and run for them. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't think I was the same sprinter. Um, I ended up, you know, doing more like long sprints and middle um, – you know, kind of middle distance or what have you. And what I mean by middle, like, you know, there's an occasional mile or uh, cross country run that I did do, but <clears throat> mostly four and eights. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I just eventually realized when I was in college that, you know, the effort that it took to, you know, to really be on top that like you needed to be, I was just getting tired of it. So, I mean, I know we're going to go backwards, but, um, you know, eventually I, I did quit track. I went to go play soccer for the UNC soccer team for like, for like a half a minute. And then, you know, when I had the burden of constantly being fast and, you know, those girls are like our USA soccer team, basically all of North Carolina. Um, and I felt the pressure to constantly be the fastest one on that team, which I was, <laughs> um, but because I was the track girl, like I felt like I always had to beat them, you know, when we were always doing stuff in practice. So then I eventually came back to track, got tired of it, and then left it alone after college and went about my, you know, journalism career. So that's kind of what happened. What was your favorite race to run? Uh, the 100, because it's done. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, the 200 and the 400, it means you have to train that much longer. 
So I love the hundred because it was, you know, the easiest to train for and kind of has the most glory. I think for anybody, if they could do it, they would. But I think essentially you end up doing something longer because, um, you know, that's where you're most competitive. Although, you know, my dad did play soccer and I have my dad's lungs. So I get into shape really quickly. Uh, that's always just kind of something that's been with me, but I also peak quickly. But, um, but, you know, even if I'm not training, you know, I cardiovascularly, I tend to stay in shape, which kind of, you know, helped me out with, you know, what I was doing. So, um, you know, and I do miss it. I gave up ballet too. I was a ballerina for what, 13 years. My mother said I would definitely regret it if I gave it up. And, and I, and I do now, I wish that I didn't. Cause at the time I combined ballet and track, I was at my fastest ever. So I recommend any athlete out there to combine ballet with anything they do, because I feel like that's when I was at my best. What do you think your own athletic endeavors have added to you being able to cover sports? That's a good question. Um, well, I definitely have an athlete's mentality because I was one. I was a D1 athlete myself. And so I do feel that I have an understanding of what it is that they go through. I have an understanding of the people that they are outside of being on a field or on a court. Um, because I just think about it how we all are. Like you are Lawrence, how I am. When you go to work, Lawrence, when I go to work, we carry so much inside of us that no one even knows what's going on. And so I take that same mentality when I'm covering athletes and I approach them that way, first kind of as people before athletes or something that I'm trying to gain from them. Um, and I think it's work because one, that approach is authentic. And then two, they end up seeing the authenticity in me, which three breeds a mutual you know, trust and four, I've always had, even when I started my career as an insider back when I was in Denver, I always valued the long view over, a, you know, gaining some short term scoop or, you know, breaking a headline in the moment. If I can get someone to, you know, want to help me for life, that's far more valuable than one breaking tweet. That's true. Was it was it always football or were, were you interested in covering other things? No, I, I, this always surprises people, but I was actually an NBA insider before I was a football insider. When I started my career and I went to uh, Denver first, um, you know, I was just covering high school and, and things like that initially. And what ended up happening is, I mean, I got that job out of Carolina. So I went to Oregon, which was Coos Bay. And it's, I always tell people it was the last grain of sand on the West Coast that that's where the station was. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a barn and the prompter was a bicycle, you know, like a, like you had to pedal it to make the, uh, you know, like, you know what I'm saying, you know, pedal it to make the prompter. Wait, wait, I get, you need to go back to that. Wait, yeah. you had to pedal to have it scroll up and yeah. down. Yeah. Like you had to push the pedal, you know, like to make the, the prompt. That's how it was. And, and the state, the first station I worked at was a converted barn that they turned into a station. I know it's terrible. So that's crazy. No one can ever say that I didn't do everything. Just <laughs> <laughs> even do what I'm doing now. And that's not, that's, I'm still only halfway. So there you go. <laughs> so I did do that. I went and I went all the way out there. And um, what did I do? You know, I, I committed to being out there for a year, a month and a day. <laughs> that's what it ended up being. And, uh, you know, when my boyfriend left me at the time and I thought I couldn't live without him, uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of hatched a plan to go back home. And it just came to me in the middle of my dream. I was like, you know what, I'm sending out all these, you know, tapes and resumes to get a job. Like I would make 200 calls a week and I was incessant about it. And, you know, I would constantly come second and third and second and third until one day I just kind of had an epiphany and I was just like, and I tell all these people this and I tell my story, I literally was like, I'm waiting for all these people to give me a yes when I can give myself a yes. Mm. And I turned in my two weeks notice to the station and I left and that was it. And I was like, I went to where I wanted to go, which was, um, you know, back home working at a station around where I lived that was a, a local a local cable station. It wasn't even a Fox affiliate or a CBS or anything like that. 
But the blessing of it is that even though I was working still for County Cable, I was in a bigger market covering the Redskins and, and the Wizards and the Terrapins and the Hoyas and all that other stuff. And I left you know, high school sports behind at 23. And um, I took a, a job working as a trainer by day and I was covering sports for them by night for free. And I moved back in my house and I was living on my mother's couch because I wouldn't take back my brother's, my bedroom that my brother took. And I did that for almost four years. What do you think the value was of that? Because that, that's, that's a humbling moment to, to go back and move back in to your parents' house. So what do you think you gained from that? A lot of tears. <clears throat> A lot of tears. It was it was not it was not easy at all because I didn't go to the University of North Carolina to become a trainer. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just wasn't my goal. But it was valuable to me because when I had an internship before I went to college, or either the first year in college or right before I went to college, I can't remember. And Tony Kornheiser was working as a local radio personality in Rockville, and I was working for him. He told me to get a job in something else other than TV because he said there would come a point in your career where you're going to need something outside of TV to keep you afloat. And so that's when I used my degree in exercise sports science to then work as a trainer, which ended up being the best thing that I could do to maintain my journalism career because the one blessing about being a trainer is that you can make your own schedule and set your own price. And so to really be efficient, what I end up doing is using my, using my track expertise I would go to the track. I would train a whole bunch of people at one time, gather as much money as I could in an hour or two and then have enough money to support myself. That's, that's industrious. And that's, <laughs> I, I think that's really valuable advice too, because at the beginning, they, there might be a pot of gold at the end of this for you, uh, <laughs> for, any, for anyone, but at the beginning, there isn't. So figuring out ways to support yourself beyond just your dream supporting you is really important. Well, it was not easy, you know, because I mean, I, I, I had to go with full in. I mean, I was working at a gym. I was supporting my own clients. I got to do, I got, I was certified by the National Association of Sports Medicine. I did all of that to support myself. But what I did with that money is save because I was at home, but I would reinvest that money into myself. So when I look at young people's tapes or people trying to get in the business or even people in the business, I've been in the business, I always tell them two things. One the importance of knowing what it is that you're talking about, because nobody can take that away from you. When you know what you're talking about, that'll keep you employed. And then I said, secondly, you have to look the part. You gotta look the part. So I would take the money and put it back into, like I would, it was always important to me to dress ahead of where I was actually financially, to look ahead of where I was even though I was doing all sorts of things behind the scenes to make that happen, which I ain't gonna put, you know, on this podcast so nobody don't come and arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> but I did what I had to do. <laughs> you do what you have to do. You do what you have to do. Well, I mean, style is one of the things that I think people associate with you when they see you on ESPN. Like you are, you are glammed up, you are styling, you, you look good on the TV. So how important a part of that and how much work goes into what it is you wear, what your hair is like, and what are some of the challenges that you may have that other reporters may not have? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I would say I've always been into you know clothes. So that's definitely organic and it's not put upon. You know, even if you go back to my yearbook from middle school, I think I was voted best, you know, dress even when I was like 13 and 12. So this has been a long time coming, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> but I do put a lot of time into it, but I'm not, but it's like, it's like, you know, it's the same thing with football. It's the same thing with journalism. Like I'm naturally into information. I'm naturally into football. These are things that I would do even if I weren't employed. And likewise, I'm naturally into clothes. I spend a lot of time looking at collections and looking at what's out there. And, and so, you know, sometimes people will be like, Josina, do you have a stylist and all this other stuff? And first of all, one, I can't afford it. And secondly, no. And third, I style myself because I actually really don't need one because I can style myself because that's how much I do no clothes. But I, but I 
I do have a natural inclination for it, but I also feel it is important for men and women to establish a signature style for themselves because in the sea of a whole bunch of people that are trying to do the same thing you do in any occupation, you have to stand out. And that is one way to do it. What advice would you give someone who's trying to develop their own style? To be true to what their style is. Don't try to look like me. Don't try to look like Lawrence. You know, represent yourself in the way that represents, you know, your personality and your brand. And, and, and not only that, but even though, you know, you might be quirky or you might be surfer dude or you might be, you know, grudge or whatever it is, you should still, it should still have, it should still have a signature to it. It should still have a finished look to it. You know, there's a way to still pull off, you know, like you're going a little edgy, but still finished. And, you know, I feel like there even looks like that on my Instagram now where I might have a, a dress from Monse and it, and it has a certain flair and a certain A-line cut and I might finish it off with some Prada, you know, combat boots, but the two of them together finish off each other. Do you ever feel pressure as one of the highest profile black women in particular in, in the sports industry to, to make sure that, that your style is representative of a community? Um, I, don't, I don't think I really go about thinking about it that way. I just, I, I do, I think what, I'm, what I do think about mostly is making sure that I'm true to myself. So I'm not hesitant to wear certain things. I mean, obviously you want to be professional. You want to have a certain silhouette, but it's still me. Like, I think if people were to go on my IG page now, there's probably certain things that a lot of girls still wouldn't wear because it's still, it's still bold in a certain way, but, but that's me. And I'm okay with having different, you know, hairstyles and different colors and my nails being a little bit longer, but they're still, and blingy, but, but I think you can, I get away with it because people can still sense there's a polish to it, you know, like there is a finish to it. It's not just, you know, me being out here being, you know, bonquisha, you know, for this, <laughs> you know, that's not, I mean, I think everybody knows that's, that's not what it is. You know what I mean? There's a, like I, there's a nail art, you know what I'm saying? And so that's what it is. And, you know, I don't, I don't mind being me, but you did ask me another question that I did want to answer, which was, you know, what is the difficulty of, you know, being like that or, or, you know, uh, you know, a black female journalist or female journalist period. And the answer to that is, is that I, I spent a lot of time putting myself together. So let's say, for example, uh, myself, Victor Cruz, we have, uh, you know, a seven o'clock hit in the morning for Sports Center, right? Well, you know, Victor might be able to walk in at 6.30 where, you know, and he might've gotten up at 5.45, whereas I was probably up by four. And so, and, but, and so for a day that sounds like, ah, okay, you know, but if you're doing that day in and day out, that is a lot. <laughs> and then the time that you're spending, you know, to stay coiffed with your hair and then, you know, to stay ahead with your look and to, and to, you know, to harvest and manage your, your, your image and all, all of those things, you know, they take time, you know, it, it doesn't just magically appear like that, but you know, you do end up, I think as females burning the candle on both ends in a way that your male counterparts don't do, especially if you're trying to be a grade about it. Did you ever get any pushback? Cause I've, I've dealt with consultants before that's like, Oh, you know, you should wear more of this or more of that. Or we, we want you to style your hair this way. When I had hair, um, <laughs> <laughs> I got, I just, I just got a little bit left. Um, right. but, that's okay. Still uh, good. Still good. That. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, so, so did you ever get any pushback because you're very fashion forward and your style is not mainstream? Um, I would say maybe two times in the time that I've been where I'm currently working is somebody, you know, maybe had a comment to say that at least that I'm aware of that, you know, where it, where it actually I had to maybe change something, but you know, that's two times and it, it barely has happened and it rarely has happened. And I think because I kind of stand authentically and who I am and how I present myself, it's not put upon. So it really got accepted you know, by people who didn't know me at the time, you know, fairly soon as it had with any other place. Um, but, you know, the difficulty for me is that, you know, like I, I do my own, 
makeup even at work and you know I there's certain things that I still do for myself whereas most of my counterparts you know obviously get the help of the services provided and that is because you know I um you know I have a standard by how you know I want you know to come across and you know if that's not there then I'm gonna you know do what I need to do even if it means putting it into my own hands even though I'm doing it at a great cost to me because it costs me time and so any time that I'm not, you know, uh, that I'm doing that, yes, on one hand, it's helping me, you know, look more for, you know, polish and all these other things that we're talking about. But I've proven myself over a 17 or 18 year career that when I'm completely focused and have all, you know, all of my senses into what it is that I'm doing, um, that I'm highly productive. <laughs> you know, so I, I even said this to somebody, I said, I feel like, you know, people can tell, when I'm home or they can tell um, when it is that, um, you know, I, I'm not uh, multitasking so much because then I end up, you know, I feel like on Twitter, I'm breaking a whole bunch of news. Whereas when I'm not, you know what I'm saying? It's because I'm traveling. It's because I've got this going on. I'm managing everything else outside of what it is that I do best. But when I, when I am given the support and time and I have the ability to sit down and sit in front of tweet deck and or I can you know sit down and focus on a project and I, I'm, a, I'm allowed to you know kind of give all that to it I'm going to churn out something special and I think I've proven that over 17 years no you you have I, I, I want to talk about you breaking stories but I want to get back to Denver for yeah. a second how, how what was your experience in Denver like and how did you then end up at ESPN off of that that's a good question um, well, I got to Denver, like I said, I was a trainer and working at home and I was doing television by night and that happened, that, that went on for three and three quarter years. And as I was getting ready to go into the fourth year, um, you know, every New Year's Eve, I would go to church and, you know, we do our tithes and we do our offerings and the pastor tells you, this is your year. And I was very loyal in Bible study and loyal and, you know, being at church and all these other things. And, but I got to a point where I was just like, Lord, if it doesn't happen this year, I'm probably going to have to give up journalism. Like I was set, ready to started looking at going to West Virginia and becoming a sports psychologist, actually. Yes, that's true. <laughs> wow. Yes, it's true. And um, so one day, and I say this in speeches I've done too across the country. Um, I went to church and I was distraught when I left church um, because I was just like, man, you know, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm being faithful and all these things. And I was walking down the sidewalk alongside the church and I was crying by myself because I had gone to church by myself, which I've done a lot in my lifetime. And um, this woman in this Oldsmobile kind of looking car driving alongside me, she stops the car and she gets out the car. And to this day, I wish I kept the card that she'd given me because it would make this story even more tangible for the people that I tell it. But she came out the car, she walked up to me and she said, God told me to tell you that your job is coming. Whoa. Oh yes, and it is such a true story. It is such a true story. She did tell me that. And she got back in her car. She gave me a card. All I remember is that it had some blue on it and a rainbow. And she just told me that she um, prophesizes to people. And that was it. And she got back in the car and she drove off. And then six months later, I was training in a gym, stretching someone's hamstring as I remember it. And the phone rang in my office and I answered the phone. And then I'm going to pause at that because I have to rewind to now make this call make sense. So two years prior to that call coming, um, two years prior to that call coming, I had used the money from personal training and I went to LA. And the reason why I went to LA is because I thought, and yes, at one point wanted to work for Fox in Los Angeles. And so I called the news director who was Jose Rios at the time. And I told him, hey, um, I'm gonna be in town for like a week. Can I just drop by? What day works best for you? And I remember to this day, he told me Tuesday. And so what day do you think I flew in? I flew in Monday night because I wasn't there. 
And I flew in literally, I think the ticket was maybe about $425, used my personal training money as I've been talking about self-investing in yourself. I did a lot of these types of trips to meet people. And, um, you know, I just told him I wanted to work there and he didn't have a job available. But luckily, the day that I was there, a woman who was a headhunter to hire for all foxes happened to be there that day. And she said, well, we don't have a job at Fox in LA, but there is a job open at Fox in Denver. Would you like to try out for it? And I was like, sure. So I ended up trying out for it um, and I did not get the job. Somebody by the name of Chris Tanaka got the job, who is uh, still a dear uh, friend of mine, even though we don't speak as much now. And, um, and so I didn't get the job. But fast forwarding back to that call when I was stretching the person's hamstring, the call came two years later, the phone rang, I go to my office, I pick up the call, and the people said, Josina, this is Fox in Denver. You remember you tried out for this job two years ago, you didn't get it. And I said, yes, I remember. And they said, well, it's available now. That person that did get the job is now the sports director. The one below is open. Well, actually the number three one, but it's available if you'd like to take it. And that's how I got to Fox and Denver. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Providence. Mm -hmm. And so in Denver, um, you know, by this time I was still mostly, I would still say I was mostly into basketball at the time. And when I came to Denver, um, it was almost like it was basically fate. You know, I just, everything that I had learned from being in DC, um, in terms of watching Michael Wilbon, watching Steve Weiss, watching David Aldridge, watching John Mitchell, the, the most valuable thing that I learned in Washington, in Washington DC was watching how they cultivated stories. At the time, you know, I was just a young journalist working for a local cable station who wasn't even getting paid by it, but I was observing them. And it, it always was curious to me how Michael Wilbon would have a story in the Washington Post that no one had on local TV. And so I would study how he would wait for everyone else to leave the locker room and then get his story with the guys afterwards. And then so that's how I began to develop my insider sense by watching those people work. And then I took that sense to Denver. And the mentality at the time when I came to Denver was for everyone, and pardon the, you know, the phrase, but that's what it's called. Everyone was in the gangbang mentality. Everyone just went into a locker room. That's literally how it was done back then. Yep. <laughs> when that was 10 years ago, however it was get the same sound and everyone would be happy to have the same sound on local television. But I didn't have that mentality. And I remember when Champ Bailey switched from being a Redskin and came to Denver and the rules, you know, were all, oh, you know, Champ Bailey only talks on Thursdays and Fridays, but I knew Champ and Fred Smoot from when, you know, they played for the Redskins. Cause I was told you I was in DC. And so when Champ Bailey came to Denver and they started talking about that nonsense, he only talks on one day. I was like, I know you don't think I'm abiding by those rules. Right. <laughs> And so I would talk to them whenever I wanted to talk to them. And I, you know, and I also would wait to get stuff that was exclusively mine. And so that is how I, that was the seeds of me becoming an insider in football. And uh, at the time, Maurice Claret, uh, there was a story about him, I think drinking, uh, what was it? Uh, Grey Goose out of his Gatorade bottle. And I think I broke a story around Maurice Claret within three months of getting to Denver. And then uh, I think I broke something around Jerry Rice being in, you know, something that had to do with him at the time when he was a Bronco in the last part of his career. But then the biggest story that came that really opened up my fate to where I am now in terms of being an insider was a source that uh, I didn't really even know was a source, but I, and I still won't say who it is, but uh, was a friend of my mother, actually. And I never knew who this person was but would always be around, but I never, I actually, all this time, I never knew what he did for a living, but he was just a friend of my mother's. And one day he called and he gave me what ended up being the, you know, scoop that was my fate, you know? And he told me that Ricky Williams was going to be suspended for a year because of weed. And he was a dolphin at the time. And I took that information not knowing how big it was, how, what I was really holding. You see what right. I'm saying? And I went to Denver. And of course that makes no sense because someone, this is a story of someone in Miami. And I went to my Denver station and I told them about the story and they kind of like, ah, you know, because it had nothing. It, hold on one second. 
it had nothing to do with it had nothing to do with Denver. Now someone is at my door, so we're gonna have to hold on one second. Hold okay, on. not a problem. I'm doing a live radio interview. Sorry, thank you. Uh, someone has come to rescue my dog from this sash that I put on her because my <laughs> leash for her got left uh, in another state, and I had to make a leash out of my headscarf, and I can't get it off because my nails are too long. So someone just came to my door. <laughs> headscarf off of my dogs <laughs> one second um so uh when you're finished with this because i'm doing this i'll have to call you back because i'm doing this okay but i appreciate you coming thank you so lawrence yes so what was i saying what was i talking oh so i went to the station and um i basically told them of the story and they were like ah you know it has nothing to do with denver you know whatever and that just kind of goes to show you the mentality of everything had to be local. It didn't matter if it was huge news nationally. We don't care about it. It has nothing to do with it. That's how they used to think. And so it ended up being the last 20 seconds of our sportscast that night. Okay? But before we put it on our sportscast, Lawrence, our sports director at the time called Dan Lebetard, who was working for the Miami Herald, and said, listen, my... Oh, I said, said my, uh, my reporter here has this story. And listen, before we put on our air, I just want to make sure that it's true. So Dan Lebetard at the time does his due diligence and actually, to his credit, wrote in the Miami Herald that I was the one who broke the story. Wow. He could have easily have usurped the story for himself. You see what I'm saying? Yep. But he did give me credit in the Miami Herald. And even though, Lawrence, it was just the last 10 seconds of the sportscast, the next day ESPN comes calling and they want to put me on cold pizza and all this other stuff. And that's when Jay Crawford and Dana Jacobson were doing cold pizza. So I ended up being national as a result of this. And that's when it really hit me. The imp I was like, oh, y'all, you people like these little scoop things? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> You were like, so I have a whole bunch of those. Right. So I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm good at getting that. You know what I'm saying? And, that, and that's kind of where it, it spawned. And then, you know, there was an unfortunate death of, I don't know if you remember, Darren Williams passed away and I was the one who broke that. And then people always say, Josina, how did you develop all these contacts and networks? Well, what happened is, is that you have, you know, your first people that kind of confide in you. And what it is, is that those people go to different teams. And then those people go to different teams and those people go to different teams. And then next thing, before you know it, after a few, four, th however many years, you have a network of people and then it brings on itself. And then the more people can trust you and people see that they can trust you. And then it, and then it breeds on itself. So when I ended up breaking the story that Larry Johnson was out for the year and Herm Edwards was the coach at the time, which is the funny thing is they were like, who is this girl from Denver breaking this story that has nothing to do with Denver? There's no way this could be right. And no one believed me. And that was the first time that I experienced kind of getting backlash for a story that I did. And Herm Edwards even was like denying it, you know, which he profusely, you know, apologizes for now, you know what I'm saying? That I was right. And, um, and uh, uh, Christmas Eve of that year that Larry Johnson was out, the Chiefs put this like little petty letter out to acknowledge that my story was out, but they did it on Christmas Eve because they figured nobody would be paying attention. And um, so the point of me saying that is that literally, you know, when, when everyone's mentality was about you only pay attention to things in your geographical bounds, boundaries, or you only do things together, you know, that was not my mentality. And I never would have had that mentality if I didn't have the bravery to leave Oregon, quit my job, go to DC, learn from people who were 10 times better than me, and then take that mentality, go back to a middle market, and then kind of use it to my, you know, growth and my advantage there. And even though I was just the third person in the sports department, I literally became the person that was the, you know, foremost newsbreaker in Denver, even from a seat that was lower than anyone in my sports department. And that's what I really think is important for people to take away from that story, even though it's, that's only like maybe the first year of it that I was in Denver, is that you can be great from whatever seat that you're currently at. You can go beyond the boundaries of, you know, even where you're, you know, environmentally bound, so to speak, 
You don't have to think of things in the prism of kind of what's surrounding you. You can think outside of that. And then outside of that, it will kind of make you reach outside of that, which will make you go outside of that. Because I can tell you, nobody in Denver was thinking that way at the time, at least in my opinion. And to kind of prove that, I give you you know one story to me that really crystallizes this. You know, when you cover the draft, Lawrence, most people, when, when the NFL draft runs around, especially in a local market, they think of, oh, well, let's just cover the Chicago Bears, let's say like where you are at, or let's just cover the Denver Broncos and, and let's stand out front of you know, the facility and do live shots from the facility and just focus on Denver. Well, one, three years into my stay in Denver, whenever it was, I go to the news director and I have this idea. I said, why don't we go to Radio City Music Hall and we'll cover it from New York? And they're like, why would we do that? And I'm like, what do you mean why you would do that? Because that's where the draft is happening. But yeah, but the Broncos are having their draft. They're drafting here. And I said, but no, that makes it look bigger. Right. You know what I'm saying? And what the Chiefs do and what the Raiders do and what everybody else does still impacts Denver. So that's how you localize it. And no one, Lawrence, could see the vision of what I was talking about. They're like, no, that doesn't make sense. You don't do that. Da, 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 da. And so my news director was like, you want to go? They made me write a paper about why I thought it was important to go. So I wrote, and I think it was like maybe two, three pages of why I thought it was important to go. And they did let me go, but they made me pay for my own way to go. And Get you know what I here. did? Oh, yes, I did. I paid for my way to go. You know why? Because it's the same thing I had been doing since the start of my career. I had been paying my way to create opportunities as I did when I went to LA to talk to Jose Rios, which got me to Denver. And I was like, oh, if you'll give me the opportunity to pay, oh, that, that, please, that's not going to stop me. So I went to New York, paid my way, paid for my hotel. And, and that was the year that Josh McDaniels was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Des Bryant was a wide receiver. Damaris Thomas was a wide receiver. And everybody in the National Football League and everyone in Denver thought that Josh McDaniels was going to draft Des Bryant because he was the number one receiver at the time. But lo and behold, Josh McDaniels shocked everyone and drafted who? Demarius Thomas. And guess who was at Radio City Music Hall and who was the only wide receiver in the green room in New York? Demarius Thomas. And guess who got the only exclusive with Demarius Thomas because I was in the right place at the right time. And I got my station, the exclusive interview. I proved my point. And when I came back, they refunded my money and made a commercial of what I did. You see what I'm saying? And so that is the point. And, and I took that mentality and they started to go to the combines. And then uh, before anyone in Denver would go even to the combines in person. And now everybody does that all the time. You see what I'm saying? And the purpose of that story is to show that even how everyone thinks of certain things in terms of certain constraint, it doesn't mean that you have to stay to the geographical bounds of what it is that you're doing or be defined by the role that they're giving you because I was the third person in the sports department and I constantly kept pushing outside of my bounds. That's awesome. Look, I, you've been really generous with your time and I appreciate yeah. that. I, I got a, a couple more things I want to ask you. And I, I, as we're talking, yeah. I'm hearing your phone blow up. I yeah. know people are texting and calling yeah. you. Yeah. So, so I got to ask, what's it like to break a big story? Well, it's, it, you know, it never gets old. It's always exhilarating when it is that you get it. But, you know, there is, I think when you first start out in terms of breaking the stories, you go through a measure of, oh my God, is this right? Oh my God, is it blah, 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 you know, because that's the last thing you want to do is be wrong or have any detail wrong or what have you. And so what I really try to do is, you know, obviously we all try to talk to people who we trust but you know you kind of have like this vetting system with people and sometimes even when i'm meeting a new source or someone gives me information new even though i could break that story sometimes i don't always break the story or something that they give me because i just want to see if it comes true it's almost like you're developing a credit bank you know what i'm saying and then also you're developing a credit bank with them because you know i as much news as i've been blessed to break i've probably broken 35 percent of what i know 
I keep more in to myself than what I break. You see what I'm saying? And so that becomes a trait in developing and getting stories as well. Um, and, and then, you know, there are the few times where, you know, things don't go right or the source, you know, did this and said that what, whatever, and, and you have to whatever. But for the most part, that hasn't happened. For the most, most, most part, that hasn't happened. Um, and, you know, for me, it's really important, not just the breaking news part, Lawrence, but knowing what I'm talking about as a woman, which is why if I'm to sit beside an Adam Schefter, sit beside a Chris Mortensen or sit beside whoever, it was very important for me to also understand how the leagues run economically. Because I think when a woman can sit up there and talk about cap, talk about, you know, uh, free agency, talk about, you know, salary cap, talk about all those things that just flow out of, you know, men's mouth so effortlessly in terms of what we're used to seeing, that to me would be a mark of people's starting to, you know, see me and accept me equally beside the people that they see me on TV. So I really made it a point, the people who are experts at that, either in media or whoever I confided in, I spend a lot of time on the phone with them teaching me stuff. That's one part of it that I think people don't see. Like things that I don't know or didn't know, I spend a lot of time on the phone asking people who know more than me, explain it to me. So, I, cause I wanna know it like that. So when I sit on TV, I want people to see that I have a command of what I'm talking about. And I, and I still do that to this day. I have like, you know, two people that I trust to explain things to me of things that I don't, you know, I might not know or what have you, if I have a question that I go to. And for the most part, if one is not available, the other one is, and they can explain it to me if I don't have a grasp of it, you know, to make sure that I understand. Cause I never, I always tell females too in the business, if you've got 10 minutes to go and your live shots at 10 and it's 9.50 and you don't have your makeup on and you haven't you know, studied what it is that you're about to say, spend seven minutes knowing what it is that you're about to say, spend a minute and a half flat iron the front part of your hair, the last 30 seconds putting on some glasses and the last 30 seconds putting on some lipstick. And it is more important for you to know what it is that you're saying than for everything to be perfect with your look. What's the best part of your job? The people the people because you know i i truly enjoy being around new people being around um, meeting new people gaining people's trust building relationships like a lot of people sometimes say joe why is it you're not anchoring or things like that and it's not so much that i don't want to host or don't want to anchor you know my dream is not to just host an anchor my dream is to host and anchor the thing something that i'm truly truly passionate about you know what i'm saying and the blessing about the position that i have now is that you know i'm not held to a desk five days in a row you see what i'm saying i i you know people are like oh my god i don't know how you could travel so much and i'm like well i don't know how you could sit in the same place so much <laughs> right you see what I'm so it, it there, and there's a flip side to everything don't get me wrong and i don't want to make anyone who's listening feel bad that you know don't goes to something five days a week what i'm saying is that we all have things that bring us joy, but there's all there's a flip side to everything that also brings us joy. So yes, I travel a lot and I like to travel, but I've also incurred the flip side of a lot of travel personally too. You see what I'm saying? So there's a, fl there's a flip side to everything. And so for me, it works because I'm a person that needs to really recharge and recenter myself. I enjoy quiet because my job is in front of 90,000 people. I enjoy coming home and, and I don't have to be out at the 4040 club. You know what I'm saying? I'm good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, like be quiet. Like even sometimes if I get into Uber, I'm like, yo, just, it just is, is cool if it's quiet. Like I don't want to hear nothing because at work, everything is deadline on time, screaming people. Ah! So by the time I come home, like I'm okay with the TV being on and it watching me. <laughs> I feel you on that. Like finding that time for quiet and silence is super important. It's, 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 it's super important. And, and not only that, Lawrence, but it gets more important. The older you get, you really see the importance of self-care and rebalancing. And they can't just be concepts. Like the other day, I had to really force myself to not wake up and go go to TweetDeck and go to Instagram and Twitter is the first thing I do in the day. Like electronic detox is the hardest thing for me to do because I feel this pull. Like I got to see what's going on. 
no. And I had to like go to my prayer room, sit down and go meditate. I was like, I, I will start this day with 15 minutes of meditation. And then the rest of the day, my energy is different. If I just give myself that first 15 to, I'm not even talking about working out. I'm talking about from my mind. Like if I do that, I notice that my day is so much different. If I would just stop being such a slave to my phone and my laptop, you know what I mean? I do. So those, so those are the things that I feel like I find even more so, um, you know, with age now. But I would say, lastly, um, you know, to anybody that's out there listening, as far as you know, when it comes to, um, you know, just your career and your path, I think one of the biggest things that I'm learning now you know i've always been articulate i've always been intellectual and things like that um but now it's really more about you know being smart about you know when when it is that you do things and sometimes it's not being right it's about you know how do I say? It's about letting things occur the right way. And what do I mean by that? Like when I was a young buck in the journalism business, when I first started out and anybody would do wrong by me, you know, it, it's so easy to want to tell the world how you're wrong or, you know, it's so easy to, you know, um, you know, kind of sprout loudly about how you're wronged. And, you know, the older you get now, the more you allow what it is in ways that you've been wrong to rectify itself. Joe, you're the best. I appreciate you giving me this much time because I know that everyone is trying to get your time at this point. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being on my podcast. And um, I mean, I, I knew that when you were here in Chicago, I was like, yeah, she's going to be a star. So now. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, Did you yeah. think that? Did you, what you, how did you even do this whole podcast and not even tell people we worked in the same market? Well, I mean, I'll do that on the front and the back end of it. Yeah. I'll, I'll let people know in the intro or in the outro. But, yeah. I mean, I knew when you were here and you were covering the Midwest and covering the Bears. Like, she won't be here long. It, it'll be a matter of time before <laughs> she, she ends up not here. And at the time, the Bears were starting kind of their decline. Uh -huh. So I figured, like, there's no, there's no reason for Josina to be here anymore when she can be doing stuff in other places that are far more important and more interesting. But I will tell your listeners, though, let me tell you about Lawrence real quick. Lawrence was always extremely genuine and a friend the whole time, the whole time, which is why I am on his podcast now. When he asked me, he knew he didn't fret that I would be on here because he knew I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I'm, but I'm but I'm telling you, Lawrence is such a good spirit, has such a great laugh, um, such a good person, very encouraging, and you know we all have our blessings in our own way. And one thing, because I consider myself an empath, and we'll talk about that on your another episode. But <laughs> but one thing I do know about Lawrence is that you have the spirit of longevity around you. So whatever it is that you do and you love, you'll be able to do it for a long time. Oh, that's super sweet. Thank you very much for that, mm -hmm. Joe. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for this too. And now go and track down every story in the <laughs> NFL while your phone is ringing like crazy. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Lawrence. I appreciate you. All the time. All right, you too, babe. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, take care. So what was really cool about doing that episode and talking with Josina was the background, the stuff that's going on in the background. If you don't know, the life of someone who is reporting is a little bit different than someone who does a talk show. Granted, I'm getting text messages or phone calls here and there from whether it's sources or, or different people and organizations, like that sort of thing. It happens. But if you were listening, you heard Josina's phone go off a bunch of times. And I guarantee you, having been around her, I guarantee you that that's not social stuff. That's not just like people being like, hey, how's it going? That is her working stories. And so 
just know that there was probably some story that she was that she had that she put up on NFL prime time or whatever that that she was doing me a solid by continuing the podcast when she could be out there doing her job like the job of a reporter at that level never ends like you are a slave to your phone because you never know when stories are going to break when people are going to add context to stuff that you've been reporting on where people are going to dispute stuff that you reported on or add to it that sort of thing so it was funny for me know that that even if you didn't hear me laughing that I was laughing at how often her phone went off during the what 45 minutes that we talked so big thanks to Josina for being on the podcast I I look forward to having her on again at some point but I do think she's a unicorn so I I like to introduce unicorns to you all right now on to the emails emails I'm glad to see they're starting to pick back up again house of l podcast at gmail.com again house of l podcast at gmail.com is how you can email the podcast this one from Jason Lawrence, great work on House of El Loho Daily, the Bears post game in your regular show. You have long been one of my favorite media people in the city, and I love the additional content. That's from Jason. Jason, thank you. I appreciate the the kind words. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to juggle, but what's cool is being able to get cool people with interesting stories onto the podcast. And there's a bunch of media people that have them. Trust me. Um, so. I'm I'm glad it is a lot of content and I'm trying I try so hard I don't want to inundate you with content there's, there's, sometimes I just take breaks for the most part off of Twitter because I keep asking you guys to give more and more but you've been good to me so I, I want to you've been good to this podcast in particular so I want to make sure that we rebounded now that I've got my schedule kind of all figured out that I give you good content from week to week and give you good guests every single week. And next week is no different. I already have uh, the the episode 85 is already done. And it's, it's going to be a different twist on things. Uh, we're still, me and the subject, are still trying to figure out how we're going to break this down. Because initially what happened is I, I was asked to be on her podcast. And then we sat down, and it kind of became a, we were interviewing each other. And I said, well, I always wanted you on my podcast. Should we do this as like a home-and-home home where for the first 45 minutes I asked the questions, and then for the next 45 minutes you asked the questions? And it turned out we were just having a conversation. So we're trying to figure out how we're going to divide this thing up. I, I'm, it might be part one on mine and part two on hers, but I will tell you that – if whatever it is, this person got a lot out of me. And I'll give you the professional tease, something that I've never talked about publicly. So be looking for episode 85. This one from Jason. Hey, Lawrence, the last three podcasts have been excellent. I would have had loved to have heard Chris Ranji tell a story about him talking to the same woman two times at a hotel bar at a twins convention. That wasn't Ranji. That, that wasn't his story. Um, Jason goes on to say, is there a chance Brian Hanley is ready to appear on the podcast? I would also love to hear you interview Arthur Arkish in what was what it was like growing up with a parent working in media and following a similar career path. Actually, that applies for both Arthur and Hub. It was Hub's dad who started Pro Football Weekly. So um, thank you, Jason. But no, that, that story is not the one that's not about Ranji. It's about someone else. Yeah, Hub is on my list, and so is Arthur. There are a lot of interesting people. I'm trying to not – I'm trying to interview people out of season. Like, I'm trying to get to the baseball people because I kind of have a window to sit down with them. So there's a couple of other baseball uh, media folks that I have on my hit list over the next few weeks. That I'm hoping to get a conversation with before they get ready to, to, you know, have the long vacation before they go down to spring training and they start that long slog again. 
And the football people, depending on what happens with the Bears, I think the it'll be, um, I, I think it'll be in January. You'll see a bunch of the Bears people that I want to sit down with, maybe even February. You'll you'll because by then we'll have like backlogged episodes, but you'll start to see some of those people pop up a little bit more on the podcast. So thank you. And if you want to email the podcast. House of L podcast at Gmail is the way that you can do it. All right. That does it for this episode. Again, a huge thank you to Josina Anderson for giving us a few minutes of her time. Uh, She was very, very busy. As you can tell, I think there's a lot to learn from what she had to say. And I thank her for being a party to it and being open about it and i thank you for listening to it we got another great episode coming up next week man i'm telling you it's going to be fantastic you're going to love it go back and check some of the other episodes trust me you scroll through there are people that you ask me to put on this podcast that have already been on it so go look go check out the barry rosner episode or the kelly crawl episode or or the layla rahimi episode go do that You will have a good time. So many. Just scroll through. We're already up to episode 85, baby. Thanks for listening. We'll have episode 85 next week. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.